Games, and welcome to In the Finest Hour, your 40k competitive podcast featuring tricks and strategies you can use in about an hour. I am your good host, Shailen Allen-West, and with me today, I have Sean Morgan, our neutral host, also known as Abuse Puppy. Greetings. And our evil host, Ben Jurek. Straight from the depths of the hellscape. Well, you're the one who elected to live in literal hell on Earth. America? I didn't say I didn't like it. I guess masochism is a thing. It's definitely a thing. Alright. So, given our episode topic, let's let's start this with a pre-warm-up. Ben, can you cite an excellent sportsmanship experience where your opponent just went above and beyond and gave you kind of an epic game, like... The Three Sigma Epic Game. Well, I've had a lot of epic games in my time, but when it comes to like sportsmanship and generally having a good time, um, it would have to play when I be when I played Danny McDevitt at a LVO. Um, even during, even though he was playing the wretched Iron Hands list of the time, um, we overall just started the game with laughs and chuckles and giving each other beer. Um, even though we're, we've only lost one game at this point. Uh, and so we ended the game on the exact same note, no matter what happened on the table. We're just like, after you, sir, no, you, sir. We're just congratulating each other and complimenting each other and just being overall, just good people. And I never met this guy in my life. So, um, we know each other now and we're, he also has, his own, he's also on some podcast himself, but at the time, this was our first meeting, and it it was a joy and a pleasure, and I'll never forget that game. That's great. Sean, what about you? Hmm. I'd say, at least off the top of my head, uh, one of the best games I ever played was actually with Jeff Robinson. Uh, oh, yeah. Jeff was a hell of a guy, and I, I never had a game against him either a practice game or a tournament where he wasn't just an absolute gentleman at every step of things. Uh, and he, he was a really good player on top of that. And that I think that combination of someone who's really good at the game, but also there to make the game a good experience for you is really what I think most people want out of this. Oh, I definitely, definitely agree. Um, one of my excellent sportsmanship things uh, was against uh, JT McDowell um, oh, yeah. at LVO one year. This was following what was an egregious bad sportsmanship game um, where my opponent basically sat there and didn't want to communicate with me and growled at me more than once. And then JT like sat there, he says, you look really upset. And I said, this is what happened to me. And he's like, we're just going to make this the funnest thing ever. And then it was. Um, JT brought my spirits up. And in addition to this, he was super clean, super fun. And JT's just a fun guy. So Mm -hmm. absolutely immaculate game from both of us. And on top of that, I walked out of the whole experience feeling happy rather than dejected about the last game I'd played. It's amazing how easily your mood can turn around. And you mentioned two names I've never heard a bad thing about. Um, and like I never got the opportunity to play Jeff, but I know my uh, my wonderful partner did. Oh, yeah. And like just just a quick you know rest in peace and 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 a moment of silence for that man because that. Yeah. He he was a very awesome person. I'm also thankful to say I got to play Jeff as well, and I completely concur with Sean's statement there. Jeff Robinson was fantastic. He went to me after the game and said, I played a rule wrong and I feel terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a level of sportsmanship that just makes the game better, um, and I always strive to be one of the better sportsmen at this game just because I see what it do does to other people. And that's why it's incredibly important to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so given that said, we are talking about sportsmanship this week and um, also about code of conduct a little bit as well towards the end of the episode. But the primary thing that we're trying to talk about here is why this matters because 
most people agree you shouldn't come into a game of 40k actively going to like belittle and be mean to your opponent because that's just socially generally unacceptable but it turns out if you don't I've at least I've learned if you don't actually set your social expectations correct you can get yourself cross-threaded with people needlessly and it matters to try to do your best to give people good experiences because you are here to have fun. That's why we play 40k at the end of days. We're here to play games and have fun. And if you're being unfun, then why are you here? Yeah, the I've always taken a big step in sportsmanship uh, and just acknowledging that my fun doesn't need to step on anybody else's fun. Um, and if I'm getting my fun from other people's misery, I really need to rethink my actions. So while I might be doing something that I, that I find fun, um, I'm not going to do things that are going to be detrimental to other people, maybe to their army. Oh, maybe like I have no problem completely tabling someone. Uh, but I don't want to like inflict the bad feels as I'll say on others. Yeah. Um, do know. Ben Jurek is evil on the tabletop, but he's not evil in person as much as he pretends to be. Yeah, I had to put on a little bit of an act, but it's cool. <laughs> it's all part of the showmanship. So, let's start with, uh, and this is something I like to do, is I like to look at things from the opposite. What's bad play? Because it's really hard to talk about good play if you don't establish what bad play is. Sean, you want to start us off there? I mean, that's a pretty big question. Um, I mean, the, the, the non-useful way is saying bad play is anything that makes your opponent not have fun. Um, but that feels like kind of a circular definition. I actually think you're going somewhere with there, because I think what people forget is bad play is unfun experiences. Yeah... And it can be anything from just not being kind to just doing things that are super obnoxious, like putting your dice away every single time and slowing the game down. Yeah, I, I, I think the tricky part is there are, there are basically an infinite number of ways to be a bad player. Because there's so many things you can do that are going to make the game annoying or frustrating or unpleasant for your opponent. Conversely, there's a much smaller number of ways to be a good player. Uh, because there's a, a relatively low number of accepted behaviors that we all kind of understand are the way that you probably should behave at a game. Um... So, I I think defining bad play is very hard. Recognizing it is very easy. That's fair. Um, I guess I would decide define bad play myself as lack of mindfulness. You're not paying attention to what you're doing, and it's causing unfun things. Because I'd like to think that people aren't maliciously going into games to be bad. I, w I would just make a very small addendum to that, not paying attention to what you're doing and how it affects your opponent. There we go. I, I think there are a couple ways um, to break down bad play. Uh, conversely, from you guys, and in some agreement with Sean, where there's infinite ways to be bad. Um, but I think there's your consciously being bad, where someone's like badgering you, actually like doing things against the code of conduct, like uh you know looking to gotcha you looking to cheat like there's there's a there's definitely you know the people always trying to like loophole or you know as they say ankle shot as a gw says or not gw the itc itc yeah the the, the typical stereotypical whack play that absolutely no one likes yeah yeah there's a and then there's your more um passive way where someone's really aware that their behavior is bad like they could be just like overly anal about some things and that especially in in a game where you know fractions of an inch matter um you know your opponent like double checking every measurement you make perfectly legal perfectly fine i would not enjoy a game if someone did that to me yeah um <laughs> so like there's there's behavior that's like purposely bad there's behavior that's bad but like not 
exactly you know definitely within the legal rules and definitely uh the player may not be aware that what they're doing is considered bad would you know not really it's not really acceptable it's not fun for anyone um yeah. and then there's your, there's your more like there's some gray area stuff definitely you see in some communities and you don't see in others where you know on this coast it's people do this all the time and on the other coast not so much so the you run into those regional things and then of course you run into like cultural things and other just social things where like you get the new yorker playing the guy from texas and well that it's going to be an interesting game just because of the attitudes that clash so yeah we're, we're working with people here and there's infinite possibility um outside of what just happens on the tabletop and the rules but i i definitely think there's a, a line between uh consciously bad and uh subconsciously bad yeah. yeah, and I think a lot of people do focus on the consciously bad, like, this player is trying to ruin the game, but I think that's actually by far the less common version. Most negative experiences that you have with people during games are not things they do on purpose, they're things they do because they don't realize or maybe don't care about the effect that it is having on someone. I I will say a comment on the Grey Knight forums. Um there's a lot of men making assumptions about how women think that happens because I'll be in a conversation and they'll make assumptions because I'm a woman and I'll correct them. And four out of five times they're, Oh, I didn't realize it wasn't that way. Thank you for informing me. And then there's the one guy who's just like, doesn't want to believe that. So yeah, unconscious bias is totally a thing. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, this is one giant sociology experience and soup of, people from all across the country and of all different walks of life combining into one singular hobby and your your combinations and what can happen um, are basically infinite so uh, but we all have a relatively recognized you know experience of what is what is bad uh, and you know everybody like Sean said thinks about the actively bad but there's there's plenty of ways to be bad and not even know about it so you know Check yourself, I guess. Mm-hmm. We'll actually go into the a little later in the episode on how you would check yourself because it is good to grow good behavior. So I think something we are kind of dancing around a little bit and might be useful to talk about specifically, um, things that create bad uh, experiences for opponents. Like what are some common things we recognize there because i think there are a lot of things that may be obvious to people who have been in the game for a long time but that for a newer player or someone who for someone who is less aware um it may not be obvious why that would create a bad experience for their opponent that's actually very fair um probably the number one i have is insufficient communication i would describe it um opponents are maybe they're playing the intent game but they're not following through all the way so like they'll roll dice and i'll be like what was that for and then we'll all get huffy because i keep having to ask that question because they keep not telling me uh yeah no gotcha hammers cancer um yeah that's what that's where that leads to gotcha hammers absolute cancer uh i that's my first like introductory speech is hello i'm ben yada yada uh i play a lot by intent so if so on so forth and also i refuse to play gotcha hammers so just just getting that out there yeah i think it's definitely something that can feel weird if you're doing it for the first time but just say what you're doing um before you do basically anything um that that just not telling your opponent what's going on keeps them in the dark in a way that is unpleasant because they see you roll nine dice and they're like, what what are those dice for? Oh, uh, I just, I just did six wounds to your squad. It's like, with what weapon from shooting from who? What's I, I, it, it leaves them confused and, opens the possibility up that you are actively deceiving them and that's bad play right there yes um do note here that uh if it is a habit to get into and anything to learn there so yeah start practicing with it like start saying that also one thing i do is i hold my dice in my hand and i present it across the table like i'm gonna roll these 
and I tell my opponent, this is for blank, and then I drop them on the table. Yeah. Uh, similar to that, uh, rolling dice where they are visible to the opponent. Uh, also a good habit, because for pr pretty much the same reasons, you want to be transparent about what's occurring, and when you're rolling dice on the far side of the table and just sort of announcing results, um, it, it leaves your opponent at the mercy of assuming you are doing everything on the up and up, uh, and that you are not making any mistakes, because Lord knows I've made plenty of mistakes rolling dice. It's like, hey, there's a three in there. It's like, oh, yeah, sorry, uh, I missed that. And, and that'll happen, but keeping things transparent is what avoids that yeah that was a uh, that was definitely my next one and on the same chapter of everything uh you know if you're using a chess clock um i think one of the worst experience i had was when i had an opponent who was like 100 percent on their chess clock but if i ever if it ever but would not return the favor ever where when i'm using a chess clock and i know it's not my turn i, I always try to you know click it over, click it back to me when I know I'm taking time. Like, right. I'm not going to try and steal my opponent's time, where if you do it one way but not the other, it, it very much has the appearance of you just trying to steal your opponent's time and time your opponent out. Yeah, and that's fundamentally not fun. Um, another type of, of bad behavior that's exceedingly common is just not being prepared. You didn't bring all your gaming yeah. materials. You didn't bring a easily readable list. And we've discussed that in the past on the podcast. So I'm not going into detail there, but it's, it's a really basic courtesy to just be ready to play. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not having your codex when I want to know how your uh, succubus has 12 attacks, like show me, <laughs> I kind of need to see it. Yeah. Um, and also, if you bring your materials and then refuse to let your opponent look at them, that's really weird. Um, I know that's your fancy codex and all, but I kind of need to read the rule, please. Yeah. Yeah, that leads into the, this is an open information game. Um, everything should be open. If you have stratagems that are relevant, once again, gotcha hammers, cancer, bring up your stratagems. Be like, hey, I have these stratagems. And someone's just like, well, can you advance and charge? Well, no, they can't. However, there's a stratagem that lets them, like, it's an open information game. They should be able to have that information. You don't need to punish your opponent for not having read 30 codexes. Like, yeah. And to, and to build on that volunteer information when it is reasonable to do so. Yes. If, if you see your opponent doing something, you're like... You know, you, you realize I have a heroic intervention strategy that gives me a six-inch reach here, right? Um, and he's like, oh, no, I didn't know you had that. Like, that that is good sportsmanship because you were providing your opponent with additional information. Um, and admittedly, there is a gray area where it's like, well, you can't do that for literally everything. You can't play the game for them. But uh, I think most reasonable people can see a lot of cases where uh, they will ask, you know, do you have an advance in charge? And you say, no, I don't have an advance in charge, but I do have a stratagem that gives me an automatic 10-inch charge. Yeah. That is a thing they will want to know. Yeah. <laughs> but I have a relic that gives it to this guy and suddenly their entire army, and, like, I've, I've yeah. been gotcha like right. that. And it's definitely happened to me, which is why it's an example, but it don't, just don't do that. It's bad. Yeah. Generally, provide in more information rather than less, and you will generally not err on the wrong side doing that. Yes. Uh, because there's, there's, there's a lot of rules in this game. Yeah. Um, I usually try to answer the intent of their question rather than the actual verbatim question they asked. Um, like, as, as Sean said, it's like, oh, well, I, I don't have that rule, but I have a shenanigan that works kind of like that. That's that's the fair thing to do. I also give opponents courtesy points like, do you want to deny when I'm casting powers? Because God knows I'll cast five of them in a round. Do you want to deny? Is a legit question I need to ask them before I just keep going. And there's obviously bad play things where there's like some things that could be perceived as being done out of cycle, like preparing your deep strikers and be like, nope, you moved out of your movement phase, you can't move, stuff like that. And like, while letter of the rule, the written game, like, 
being that guy is uh, will definitely not earn you any sportsmanship points. You might create an ITC code of conduct with that kind of play. You might. All right. Uh, I think we've talked about bad play enough for a minute, so let's go into, as Sean has pointed out, the much easier thing to define, and that's good play. Mm-hmm. I, I basically see good play as the intent of trying to make the game a smooth, clean, and fair process for both people, whatever that means to you. And in this case, it's being courteous in addition to being open with my information. Yeah, I don't need to like the person across the table. I don't need to be their friend, but I, I look to have a good game with them. Uh, and one, my version of a good game of 40K is eliminating the weird human elements of it and playing it like a computer game. If that was going to happen anyway, let it happen. Like, like you, you miss, like it was supposed to be 30 shots. You forgot to roll 10 shots. Here, roll those other 10 shots, even if you already moved on to another unit. Um, just because like that's how it would play out you don't suddenly don't get those shots because of a you know of that type of error Mm -hmm. i often remind my opponent of well i mean feel no pain has changed but i've reminded my opponent to take feel no pain saves on a regular basis to my own detriment (laughs) i think reminding your opponent of their rules especially in rules they might miss are beneficial to them is very good sportsmanship yeah um the and as we said earlier with bad sportsmanship is the lack of mindfulness being mindful while you're playing 40k like if your opponent's starting to get upset or something maybe you try cracking a joke um or backing off and giving them a little bit of space um so that they can recover themselves because you don't need to drive your opponent to tilted feelings um, they might get there on their own outside of you, but you don't need to be the train conductor pushing it that way. Mm-hmm. I think I think the core of a lot of this really just comes down to communication. Um, bad play usually has a lot of stuff around it that involves bad communication or poor communication or deception, where good play revolves around honest communication, open communication, um, generally even some compliments here or there. Yep, I mean, I take pom-poms to a tournament, and I will cheer on an awesome roll for me or my opponent. And half the time, my opponent gets my second pom-pom and does the bad thing back to me. So, hey, it all works out. Yeah, um, most everyone playing this game is an adult. Uh, and I think most everyone listening to the podcast as well. And honestly, if you're a, a teenager and you're listening to this podcast, you hopefully have the emotional maturity to behave like an adult uh, because you're, you know, going to tournaments, etc. But it really is just communication. Like, this is a game with two players, with two people. Communication is always going to be the number one factor because that's just what happens when you sit two people down at a table. Is like, what's going to make that go best? having them actually talk and to each other and tell each other what's going on and explain what is happening and what they're doing and what they're trying to do. And if things go wrong, explaining what their intentions were and, and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. if, if you can't do that, then you're, you're going to struggle with the game, um, both competitively and sportsmanship-wise. Yes. Also, if you're giving your opponent that communication, when you have your post-game discussion, especially if you lost and you're trying to figure that out, they can say, you had an interesting idea here, and I think you might have tried this differently because they understood what your intentions were, so they could see what you were thinking, and they can give you better advice to improve yourself. Yeah, and like this this brings up a small, a small tangent, so forgive me for a second, but this brings up a situation where someone... Um, was using the mask of being a good player uh, and a good sportsman, but using it to essentially almost bully me. Um, this was in a... I'll, I'll use an example, and I'll say this player got red-carded literally the next round, but um, I, had, I was playing this player at the top table at LVO uh, in the third round, and he was he declared his intent and did an action. I'm like, 
And then it was like, you can't do that. That's not how the rule works. It was a, it was a, it was a, it was a wrap around one of my, one of my uh, models. And I'm like, this is closest, this is closest model. You literally can't do that. He tried to like rush the situation and like quite clearly, like, you know, almost basically cheat me. Um, and I, he had already been yellow carded literally like earlier in that event. Uh, and as soon as I like started to like say anything negative toward it, he, he, he pulled it all back and went against it. But like, he was trying to like, do this whole, you know, I'm going to be a good person and, you know, smile, smile to my face, but also use it to like, try and like, pull a fast one on me. Um, so it, it's, it definitely like makes me have a little less faith sometimes, but just understand that if just because someone's being nice and communicating doesn't mean that uh, you can't, you know, put your guard down and, uh, and, you know, let yourself get bullied. So just be careful. Yeah, it's usually around names that are that are common that are commonly known to be bad in the 40k scene. So you won't see it too much often outside of that. All right. Um. So I wanted to spend a little bit talking about um because we we've just explained here pretty well that good play isn't just about being nice to your opponent. It's about communicating with your opponent. And I just kind of wanted to go into that a little bit and kind of how you can improve good play and kind of things to lean for and philosophies to take. Uh, my personal favorite is just having an attitude. I walk up to my opponent and I say, hi, I'm Shailen Allen West, and I'm here to have a good, clean game with you. And I just set that expectation right out the gate. And attitude counts for a lot, because if people sit there and they see that and they're like, that's that's what she wants, and she's not compromising on that kind of thing they're like okay and they'll usually go along with it because it's i'm not asking them to do anything that's mean or bad yeah i think setting your expectations at the beginning of the game can go a long ways um as well as setting a positive tone at the the start of the game like you would be surprised how much just having a nice conversation at the start of the game can affect the way the rest of the game will go uh you know Look about, look at their models, say something nice about their army, ask a question about it. Maybe, you know, both of you know the same player and connect that way or something. Um, but having a positive interaction to before the game even starts uh, and one that you, you know, choose to create can go a long ways towards smoothing over problems later on. Because when there is a miscommunication or a problem later on, they're a lot more likely to give you the benefit of the doubt and say, well, you know, I like this guy. He seems like a good person, so probably he wasn't trying to cheat me there. Yes, um, establishing rapport is super critical. I mean, you're going to be spending the next three-ish hours with this person, so it's, as Sean said, just starting off on the right foot and actively starting off on a, I think your army is cool, or I think you're cool in some way. People like being flattered, and I, I mean, I'm people, and I like being flattered, so there. I'm people, too. Um, I have a question for you guys. Hmm. Sure. What, uh, do you guys give takebacks? Yes. Broadly, yes, but with caveats attached um the, the big one being like if my opponent is not giving me any me any take backs i'm going to treat them the same way with the expectation of that is the kind of play that they want um and also they they're on a uh, logarithmically decreasing scale i'll be real easy on the first couple of them um, but if you keep making the same mistake every single turn, eventually I'm just going to say you got to live with it. Yeah, sometimes you got to help those people remember their, uh, their hymns and their prayers and all mm -hmm. that fun stuff. Um, I give take backs, but on a very, on a similar scale to you, Sean, but with a, one of my caveats is the timeline. If we have to go back four phases to, for you to like, remember your psychic phase. No, that's not happening. Yeah. Um, if you if you went to your shooting phase, shot something, then forgot your psychic phase, I don't give a crap. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. I usually draw the line at you're allowed to go back one phase, provided it doesn't fundamentally affect the current phase in some way. Like, I this one unit you haven't shot at yet, oh man, I forgot to cast a debuff power on them. I would permit that, but I wouldn't permit 
this unit I've been shooting at for most of the shooting phase, I want to go attack an offensive power against it. I wouldn't permit that as likely. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I just wanted you guys' feedback on that. Because, I mean, like, I think something that happens a lot at a table is, is uh, are tech backs happening? And if so, how are they happening? Or why or why not? Because um, they're definitely yeah. not in the rules, but they're something that I see happen at all sorts of 40k tournaments. So something to bring up. Uh, I, I often have to tell my opponent because I've been trying not to use take backs to fix things. I keep trying to live with my mistakes so I can improve myself. So I have to explain to them because they'll be like, you can take that back. I'm like, I don't want to. I'm trying to improve my play by living with my mistake. <laughs> yeah, I I have opponent, I have opponents who have been like that, where they're just like, just let just let me die in my mistakes and then we'll talk about it at the end of the game. I'm like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I will also point out that uh, you can ask your opponent like how good a ge- how good of an opponent was I? How was my sportsmanship? And they can give you feedback on that too. So if you're trying to guide it and work on it, if your opponent is of the mind to tell you that, that's good information to get. Um, but like, you know, your friends at club that are watching you play can say, dude, man, you get really loud and hard-toned sometimes. And then you can start watching it and paying attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unsolicited feedback is, is nice, both on the good and bad. Because, well, if you get ba- bad unsolicited feedback, it's a little oof. But at the same time, it's the feedback that, like, it, it's, the, it's the stuff that's showing that's obvious. But um, solicited feedback can also be uh, quite useful. Um, I've definitely have asked my opponents like, Hey, how'd you like that game? Um, especially if I play like a really, uh, just mean list and that's no fun to play against. I'm just like, sorry about the list, but did you at least have a good time? You know, type of deal. Yeah. Um, being a good player is a skill. You do have to put work into it. It is a work in progress. Um, I try to be a good sport of an opponent and a mindful person so the point is is that you can level up your skill in being good uh as as long as you're being mindful and you work on it um and you think of ways like how could i communicate this better um and ask your opponent do you understand that because sometimes your answer confused them and it's important for that for clarification to be said as well Unfortunately, you can't take all game doing that, but it's it's part of the piece of the puzzle you're working on. Mm-hmm. So I think we're now going to transition into the how to win and not be a jerk about it. Oh, I'll start us off then. The uh, So if there's one thing that no one has ever liked, inside or outside 40k, it's unsolicited advice. Um... But that happens a lot in 40k, specifically, uh, especially among players that may not know that that's a bad behavior or may not know they're even doing it. Um, that that whole because it, it feels like good communication. It feels like you're being a good player when you're like, "Hey, you probably should have charged over here," um, but you don't know what's going through your opponent's mind or what their game plan was. And there's a better way to do it. And it just it's just a question like, "Hey, can you know? Can I offer you some advice or?" Or asking a question like, hey, why didn't you do X? Um, there's a way to, you know, be good about it. But if you if you do it unsolicited, it, it, it can be bad. And you definitely want to avoid uh, giving that sort of unsolicited advice. The yeah. even more common one that I see that I think pretty much never goes over well is unsolicited list critiques. Yeah. Wow. I don't know why you're using that unit. It's just bad. It's like no one wants to hear that ever. (laughs) Yeah. Basically, uh, you forgot the transition question to make sure the person is ready to uh, participate in an advice conversation and a mentoring growth conversation. If they say no, you need to walk away and leave them alone. Mm -hmm. Another important thing about it is... Don't brag. Uh, have a little humility. Basically be like, well, you know, I yeah, I won, but you did this really, really well, and I made these kind of mistakes, and you almost had me here. It it gives your opponent a sense of equalness. They're your equal. You're not over them. You're not 
trying to do anything there. It's like, no, no, we we just had a good time. I'm going to give you the respect of not shoving this in your face. Yeah, I I had a recent game where I was playing Drukari at, at a Atlantic City Open, um, and I was really excited that I was crushing this guy. Like, but I had to check myself because like I was like, okay, you are beating the boogeyman of this tournament, but uh, as far as factions go, but like rolling well things going in my favor just roll it out have a good time i i don't have anything nice to say about what's going on or other than the fact that my stuff's doing well and i'm not going to say it because that's not going to make my opponent happy so it's one of those things where it's just best not to say it yeah there's there's definitely a lot to be said about not being overly exuberant when your opponent does poorly um because when when you're doing well, that probably means your opponent is doing poorly, and that's a negative experience for them. And that doesn't mean you can't get any enjoyment out of that, but keep it to yourself. Um, you, you can be really happy that you won a tough game, but you don't have to show that. Yeah. Because... And even then, it's just yeah, it's it's not a pleasant experience for them. It it is going to be a very negative experience for them. Yeah, and even then, if you're having a good time, you can give a positive vibe. You can just right. have you can be like, oh wow, this this game's going really well in my favor. Wow, I made that ten inch charge. It looks just my way. Mm-hmm. Like you don't need to blame your opponent for you having a good time. You can just be like, wow, like those dice were hot. I'm doing really well. It's going to flip eventually. Yep. I am a person who can't contain my happiness very well, so sometimes I will step away and get out of line of sight of my actual physical opponent and have a happy dance privately, so they don't have to see that. Yeah, and and that will also depend a lot on how they are reacting to the situation. They they may they may be fine with it and if if they're if they seem to be not reacting negatively and just kind of like yeah it looks like you're having a pretty good game then it it's okay to be a bit more upbeat about it you can you you can be more happy and and show more of your of your pleasure in in the way things are going but if they're clearly not happy about it then bottle it up a little bit uh, because it's only going to make things worse if you are just like, wow, I sure did kill all six of your characters in one turn and knock you off every objective. Wow. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Say, I find that to be when I am not having a good time in the game, my opponent pointing out all of the bad things that are happening, that is personally one of the more frustrating things to me. Yeah, I think the reading the room and audience portion uh, is definitely um, a good skill to have as a good player. Like, if, you're, if your opponent's, like, really buying into it and, like, even though they're losing, like, vibing on, like, what's going on at the table, mm-hmm. go ahead and, like, make it dramatic. Have fun. Sure. Um, if your opponent's having fun yeah. losing, have fun with them. You don't need to be that unemotional jerk at this point. You can buy into it. But oh, if yeah. your opponent's super checked out and doesn't want to hear it, read the damn room. Yeah. Um, so... You know, there's body language, there's things they can say, but like, just, you know, you can feed off what your opponent is doing um, and they're definitely not having a good time. There's no reason for you to feed that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've actually asked my opponents when they get really, really deeply upset mid game, I, I will just say, if you need to take five minutes and walk around the room, you can do it on my time. Just I, like, I want you to be having a good time. If you need to give yourself some space to rally, please do so. And I've had two opponents actually take me up on that and come back and tell me that that made the game the best thing in the universe because I let them rally. Mm-hmm. And the next point I want to make is just keep the keep the game moving. Um, mm-hmm. Don't like if you're winning, don't slow things down. By far, don't don't excruciate something that's already painful or extend something that's already painful for your opponent. Um, just do what you can to keep the game moving as fast as possible. Um, if you're you know. Offer small shortcuts here and there, as long as they're legal, of course. Um, especially if like the game's really tilted, but your opponent wants to play to turn five and get all their points and not concede. Right. Yeah. Um, and sometimes offer the opponent, like, if you want to stop and talk it out at any time, 
we can. Um, sometimes, like, I have to sit there. I'm like, you know what? I'm having a really bad time. I don't need to pick the rest of my models off the table. Let's just talk this out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a note there. Some packets don't let you do that. So Yes, uh, provided it's legal at your tournament. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the other elephant in the room, which is losing with grace. Because it happens. Arguably the harder of the two. Uh, very much so. By far. <laughs> so, um, a big thing about losing with that headspace for me is I walk into any particular match acknowledging mentally that I might not win, so I don't get deal with the shock of the loss as much. This helps me avoid getting super tilted if I lose. Not that I don't sometimes. I'll be clear there. Um, but I try to make it to minimize myself getting super tilted by keeping my headspace right and also acknowledging when I'm starting to get way too tilted to continue a game. Like I'll cut it off when I'm too, when I'm starting to get too upset to continue playing properly. Yeah. Coming into a game thinking I'm going to win this is probably the best way to set yourself up as a bad opponent. Um, whether you win or lose. Um, but that that level of not just confidence, but, you know, because confidence would be I can win this, but I'm going to win this means that if you do, that just shows you were right all along and you're the best 40k players ever lived. And if you don't, it makes you angry because something went wrong. You should have won that. That's just setting up a negative experience no matter what happens. Yes. I was always taught uh, in my earlier uh, um, hobbies and careers and not, and whatnot that picture yourself winning. Like, have that image in mind, but also acknowledge that there are other outcomes that can happen. Um, and you need to try to be the same person no matter the outcome. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't only be happy when you're winning. You shouldn't always be tilted when you're losing. There, There's definitely an in-between. But the ideal player across the table is a person who, when they're losing, um, is not being a super sourpuss about it or being super angry about it. They're, you mm-hmm. know, they came there with, with a very similar mindset of wanting to win, obviously. Yeah. And you know, there's always like in any one game, someone's going to walk away a loser or a tie. Uh, so, like, that's what you have to acknowledge. Uh, and you know, and knowing that your your perfect opponent is a person who loses with grace is also means that you should also try to be a perfect opponent. Yeah. Yes. I, I will also point out, um, if you do get too tilted, um, sometimes like I, I'll just full on admit to my opponent. and said, I'm really upset right now and I need to walk away. And I, I will just immediately walk away on that awkward note and I will come back. And when I'm more stable and have that post game conversation with them, yeah, it a lot of times for a lot of people, and this isn't necessarily universal, but like taking some time and like we said earlier, a little bit of space to regain your composure can be very helpful to being a good opponent. Um, because we can't always perfectly control our emotional states, but what you can do is control your situation. Recognize when you are becoming tilted and try to do something about it to change the path you're on. Because if you just let yourself get angrier and angrier and you even when you know that's happening, you're being a bad opponent. Yeah. yeah. Biggest thing here is channel your tilt away from anger. Um, usually I go, dang it. I'm losing. Well, I'm going to make myself better so I don't lose again. Um, That sort of mental philosophy and tricks, if you can keep repeating that sentence in your head, eventually your brain will believe it. Yeah, there's an opportunity in loss. Um, There's always opportunity, both winning and losing. And you're eventually going to play that guy. You're going to have a bad time. And I'll admit it, I've had a really terrible game with someone who's a very bad opponent. And I walked away. I was like, I'll take the zero. Peace. I was mm-hmm. It's the worst case scenario, but I've pulled that trigger. And and yeah. and let's kind of something that can help you with keeping that in perspective. If you have that worst possible game where you play a real jerk and it's just a terrible experience, and you do take that zero and walk away from the table, that doesn't actually change anything. Uh, you haven't gotten any worse as a player. 
you 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 had one bad game, but you can still have four other good games at the tournament. And when the tournament's over, that one bad game doesn't actually matter. Um, it, yeah. It is useful to remember this is a hobby, and we invest a lot of time in it, and we invest a lot of effort in everything, but you can't let one bad game ruin everything. Yes. I will also point out that, I mean... This is a game, and we're here to have fun. So if it stops being fun, both you and your opponent need to stop and kind of have a little brief mental assess and decide how you want to continue forward. Um, I, I've i walked away from games, too. It's just like, no, I can't deal with that today. I don't have this capacity. And then I had a bunch of other great games. Mm-hmm. Um I actually walked away from the one I played before JT from the start of the episode thing. So that should give you all that context there. Yeah. And I, this, this is something that was, uh, we talked about a little bit earlier before the episode, but blaming your dice doesn't do you any favors and your opponent doesn't like hearing about it either. Because what you're saying when you blame your dice is I'm good enough to beat you it is only the random factors that allowed you to win. Your skill was not the contributor. And yeah, it's just, it's a shitty thing to say to someone. Don't say that you can complain about bad dice to a degree. You know, if you roll six ones, wow, that sure does suck. And your opponent can commiserate with you on that. It's like, yeah, man, wow. Six ones in a row. That, that really does suck. But when you say I would have won if only I didn't roll six ones, that's when you're stepping over a line. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like to put the whole game on particular dice rolls. Yeah. I do like to be like, yeah, there was a, there definitely a statistical anomaly there. That And my opponent usually commiserates it before I do. Yeah. They're like, wow, that's crazy. And I'm like, yep, you just you just killed a stomp of two Plague Burst Crawlers. Mm-hmm. True story. Mm-hmm. That can happen. Yeah. But remember, that's part of the game. Randomness is part of the game. And good players learn to deal with randomness. So you need to find what it is that helps you personally accept the statistical variation in the game, because that's always going to be part of it. Yes. Um, Instead of saying things like blaming your dice, you can just say, I don't know how I lost. Can you tell me how you think I lost? That that's a way, way better question to ask. Yeah. So rather than go into intermission, we're going to talk about codes of conduct very, very quickly because we don't have a lot of time left. So codes of conduct are basically someone wrote down the gentleman's accord, so to speak. These are the overarching rules that drive how you should interact in a game. The GW version, which we talked about in more detail in the episode where we went over the tournament packets for the GW Opens, um is kind of the small-scale version. It's the everyone agrees not to be mean to each other version, and it's not very specific. Yeah. And it's what we had before the ITC Code of Conduct was that kind of everybody be nice. Yeah. And one of the big problems is it didn't scale gracefully at big tournaments. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it puts an expectation out there that is not, I believe, a reasonable expectation when you mix that many people together. I mean, one of the biggest things at ACO was just people arguing over terrain before the game even started. Yeah. Like it, and they can't play fair. You have to tell people to play fair. The GW Code of Conduct, I think, is an example of a, a badly written Code of Conduct. Um, and I'm sorry, GW, this is, this is just kind of what it is. Um, because it presumes that two good people both trying to have a good game will never disagree about anything. And that's just not true. Um, most disagreements come from yeah. two honest people both believing they are correct and reasonably so and still coming to a conflict. And the point of a code of conduct is to set up a set of rules, uh, a set of strictures and guidelines that define the ways that people should be interacting with each other. And the GW1 
not even just being like a small scale version. It's just it's a it's essentially a complete non entity. It doesn't tell you anything useful. No, it just tells you what a culturally appropriate thing to assume might be useful. Yeah, no, it just it just sort of says you should play nice with your opponent, and if you do, nothing bad will happen. And that's absolutely not the case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the GW one feels like the little one you see in like the bulletin board at a local game store. Yeah, yeah. Like four players in it. That that that's what it feels like. It for competitive play for mass tournaments. It's they're definitely okay guidelines, but they're not 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 what we're looking for. They're yeah. they're not useful for creating any sort of binding set of rules, resolutions, or sportsmanship guidelines or anything. Yeah. Um, now, the ITC Code of Conduct came out of having something not dissimilar to the GW version. It was a little more specific. And then um, someone uh, kind of caused a giant, really poor sporting kerfluffle at the top tables of LVO. And the ITC decided they would have a sportsmanship code of conduct to prevent further repeats of this behavior. It certainly wasn't the first time. I think it's the hay, the little piece of hay that broke the camel's back. Yeah, um, it's a the ITC code of conduct this year specifically, twenty twenty one, grew some freaking teeth. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm excited for it, honestly. Yeah, I think broadly speaking, it is a good thing. Uh, I like that it is very explicit about a lot of stuff and says like, this is what we expect players to do. This is how we expect them to behave. These are the things that are required to be a good player. Uh, I think that explicitness is the best thing about it. There are points that I disagree with it on, where I think like, oh, I don't think that's the right call to make there, but that's a discussion you can have about the specifics of it, as opposed to the broad outline where uh, you can say, like, this, this document specifies how to be a good player. And it does not leave anything ambiguous yes. or up to interpretations. Like, well, where I'm from, we can roll dice however we want. It's like, well, the IC Code of Conduct says this is how you roll dice. Yeah. Because this is the accepted way that the majority of 40k players who attend large tournaments roll their dice. This is how you do it. Broadly speaking, um, I really... The biggest difference between this code of conduct and the first code of conduct they pushed out is the idea that your individual games are impacted and it affects the total score. Yeah. Before, which was like some social contract that you need to violate so many times and you can get a slap on the wrist a couple of times and it doesn't matter. Well, your first two yellow cards did nothing. Yeah. Uh, all they did was get you ready for a red card. Yeah. When, when I said it grew teeth, it grew yeah. teeth. Um, so now you have... Your each individual game can be completely lost off of you inflicting one yellow card mm -hmm. uh, instead of just a small social punishment that will never carry on to any other tournament from there on right. out. Like you can get two yellow cards at one tournament, two yellow next. There, it really grew some teeth, and I, I appreciate those teeth existing at least as a deterrent, even if it never gets used. Yes, um, I will comment as an autistic person. They have basically written out the unspoken social rules with this code of conduct, yes. and. No offense, they're all on paper. There is no debating on what it should be. It is there. That is the most thing ever. It makes me deeply happy inside. I can follow the guidelines and be the best person I can be. And everyone can agree I followed the guidelines correctly. Yeah, I think that's a big thing for a lot of 40k players to have that explicitly defined social contract as opposed to an implicit one, which is what we've been using up until now. Can I be pessimistic and talk shit on it now? Sure. Yeah. I'm not really looking forward to smaller GTs and regional GTs where particular players are friends with judges and may or may not have things ruled a lot easier. Yeah. It, I mean, that is the unfortunate reality of a human-driven system is it still has human failure points. Um, yep. It's not gonna be super cool when, you know, best buddy with the judge... Oh, yeah, well, the judge decided that one wasn't worth a yellow card either, or oh, he gave you a yellow card for disagreeing with his friend. Um, but 
you know, that's people. You you can't fix people with a co- with a code of conduct. It's inevitable. There's yeah. thousands of players, lots of games, but it's one of those negative things that's going to happen from it. Yeah, I have been pushing to say, hey, we need a system for having rules looked at and having things looked at because there is a human factor with the judges, and it'd be nice if there was something in play to kind of keep an eye on that. But they didn't want to do that because that's work, and I get it. I was going to say, eventually we will need some sort of judge certification system for 40k. I don't think we're there yet, but we will at some point. Yes. That's exactly where I was going. I think I think a lot of things have... I think uh, GW and 40k as a whole has, has always looked up to the other competitive tabletop games, whether they be card games or elsewise, mm-hmm. um, and seen where they've been successful and what they've been good at. And I think they're just emulating what's successful. There's no reason to reinvent the wheel. A judge yep. system is basically inevitable at this point. Yeah, it's it's just a matter of when the game grows large enough for it to be needed. And we, we are moving that direction, but uh, the Code of Conduct is one more step in that direction. Uh, and I think one that is, broadly speaking, good. Um, if you haven't read the, the Code of Conduct, I would suggest you do so... <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, I would suggest you do so at some point. It is a fairly hefty read, uh, as it's not a short document. pages? Yeah, and it's a lot of legalistic terminology, um, but really it's just explicitly spelling out the things that you were probably already doing. Um, yeah. But familiarizing yourself with that so you know what is expected is a useful thing to do if you're going to go to a big tournament. If you're just going to like a 30-man GT, that's probably not going to come up, and it's not going to be that big of a deal. But if you're going to a 150-person major, you're going to want to know the code of conduct. Hey, Sean, let's put a link in the episode description so it's really easy for everyone to find. Yeah, we can probably do that. Huzzah! Assuming GW doesn't move it. (laughs) The, at the end of the day, it's a document written by good people to stop bad people um, and make yes. good people aware of what bad things are. Because uh, some people may not even know that that's something that's against the code of conduct. And, you know, I, I'm just excited that it has teeth now because before it was kind of a you kind of got a shrug and a tough shit um, if somebody wronged you. Yeah. Uh, and purposely so, too. And if you find that you are doing something that is in opposition to the Code of Conduct, just change the way you're doing things. Um, it doesn't necessarily make you a bad person, but do realize that what you have been doing may be making things a bad experience for other people. You say, well, I always, I always roll all my dice over here and announce the result no one's ever objected to it before it's like well no one's ever said anything about it but it doesn't mean that people like it uh the the stuff that's in the itc code of conduct with almost with very few exceptions i would say is stuff that's pretty universally accepted by tournament players as best practices yes we haven't gone into it in any details. We said it's a 15-page document, but if you're wondering what we mean by intent play, it's described there. They take a couple paragraphs to describe exactly yeah. what that is. Uh, I still have absolutely no idea what angle shooting is, but I'm very sure that someone out there knows what an angle shooter is. I do. I can take a whole episode to explain it to you. So they 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 talk about it, but what they describe is a thing that I am unable to differentiate from several of the other concepts they describe. <laughs> All right, take us out of here, Sean. Well, All right, Sean. Let's let's do the summary in the Patreon now. All right. Well, if you want to talk to us, and you can come to us and explain to me what the hell an angle shooter is, because I certainly don't know, and I'm not necessarily convinced that anyone does. Uh, you can contact us with, through inthefinesthour at gmail.com, as well as on our Facebook page, which is also In the Finest Hour. And if you'd like to support what we do, we have a Patreon, where for $5 a month, you can help support the hosting and equipment that keeps this show running. So thank you very much to everyone who's done so. We really appreciate everything you've done. I'd like to thank Rylan Woodrow, the epic 
um, for doing our awesome art and various iconographies we've had done. He recently visited my abode and got to squeal in delight over the banner we had made. Well, rather, he made and I commissioned. Mm-hmm. It's a very nice piece. And if you enjoyed the wonderful sounds that brought you into this lengthy episode about sportsmanship, uh, you can find Dank Muse's work on SoundCloud, Spotify, and YouTube. Well, that just about wraps it up for this week, and I do not regret how long that took us to talk about it. It's very important. It is a pretty important topic. Uh, actually, one of my favorites, honestly. Yay! <laughs> so next week we have... Shaylin will figure that out later. She has not figured that out yet, just yet, so surprise. Um, but for this week, it has been Shaylin Allen West. Sean Morgan. Ben Jerry. Thanks for listening. 